of Jesus. The more you do this study, the more you realize you're not going to find in that word anywhere where God calls us to be Christian. But you will find that he calls us to be disciples. And the word disciple in the Greek means to be a student or a learner. And that's what this is all about. That's what all our life is about, is being discipled. And to be discipling others. And what I'm excited about with this course is that after you're getting this discipleship, and most of the discipleship is done at home, when you're reading through the Scripture, when you're filling in those blanks, when the Holy Spirit is dropping those answers into your heart and into your mind, that's where this is going to be taking you into where you're going to be able to disciple others. You know, whether it be at work, whether it be your children at home, whether it be whatever you're going to be doing, your discipleship, wherever God takes you, that's what this is about. It's not just about checking a box. It's, we, you know, we don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be anything, you know. God didn't call us into a religion, Christianity. He called us into relationship. And, and that's what um, tonight is really going to be all about. We're going to be talking about uh, the communion, about the Lord's Supper. And if we, if we miss the fact that this is all about relationship, it won't matter what we talk about tonight because we'll miss the whole point. Because if you don't see the Lord's Supper relationally, you'll miss the power of it. The power is all about relationship. It's all in relationship to Jesus. And so as we go in this tonight, you know, um, later we're going to be taking communion. You know, I, w- I want you just to prepare your hearts as we're talking and we're discussing this. I, w- I want you just to really remember what we're talking about. You know, it's not something that we should just think of, well, we do it the first Sunday of every month. That's not what this is about. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than any kind of legalistic, law-driven ritual. This is about a supernatural encounter relationally with our Lord and Savior Jesus and remembering, remembering what He's done for us. What we couldn't do for ourselves. You know? And so we should never take this subject lightly. You know, anytime we come to the table of communion, anytime where we come and we take of that symbolic gesture we shouldn't be taking it lightly. It should be a very serious moment in our hearts, in everything that we are should be submitted to that moment. Because in that moment, that's where we're going to be meeting with God. So I just want to start with some prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to come and just discuss what you've done for us, Lord. And Lord, the sacrifice that you made for us, God. We'll never forget, Lord. We talk, you know, this week a lot about 9-11, and I've seen a lot of postings about never forget, never forget. But Lord, let us never forget who you are and what you've done. Let us never forget the sacrifice that you made, Lord, out of pure love, out of pure unconditional love for us, Lord. And so, Lord, we just welcome your Holy Spirit, Lord. Welcome you to speak to our hearts, Father, to just open our minds, and Lord, that you would just help us to to receive what it is that you're planning tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, so we're going to be starting with the section one of uh, Holy Communion, the Eucharist. Um, it's going to start by kind of showing us an example of what the early church was like. And this all comes from the book of Acts chapter 2. Some of the big things that we get out of there is that the early church, number one, they spent time learning from the apostles. Number two, they acted like family. Well, that's a rare concept, huh? <laughs> Act like family. It's a big one. Number three, they broke bread. They, they had communion with one another. They shared their food. You know, um, I think community is being lost right now, especially in America. And we're missing it because the church is not showing America how to do it. You know, if something's broken in our society, who knows it's not society's fault? Who knows it's the church's fault? If we're not being the light, the dark is just the dark. We're the salt. We're the light. If something's off, if something's wrong, we have to own that. It's, it's my problem. It's my fault. And it starts with me. I was talking with Trey the other day. He was talking about his neighbor and how his neighbor, you know, instead of coming to talk to him, just wants to, you know, call the cops about something. You know, when a simple conversation, hey, can you stop doing this? Hey, you know, probably would resolve the problem in two seconds. But we've lost community so much that we don't even know who our neighbor is. We probably don't even have their phone number. You know, that's a sad thing. And that that's, shouldn't be so in the church. It shouldn't be so with the people of God. We should know our neighbors. We should have their numbers. If we hear their car alarm going off, we should be able to call them and say, Hey, are y'all okay? Right? So, that's what the early church is about. It's about community. Next thing, they, they prayed together. They had a prayer life together. It's hard enough sometimes to keep a prayer life for yourself. You know? Be, being transparent, like... That's one thing I'm, I'm working on a whole lot lately. Like, Lord, I, I know I need to pray more. I know I need to spend more time in prayer. I love to read God's Word. I don't know... The, that switch flipped to me after honestly taking this course. Like something changed in me where I was, I was hungry for the Word. And I love to spend time in the Word because I, I, I get so much from, from God from that. But you know, prayer's a discipline I'm still working out. It's something I'm still like, Lord, I know I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to spend more time just with you. Not so much me talking, but me listening. The next thing they did is they met daily in the temple. You know, this is something that's kind of different because who knows the temple's not a physical place under the new covenant. We're the temple. You know, but what this is talking about in context is that we have a community of believers. We have a family. We have the church, the body of Christ. And we need to be connected. It's important to stay connected with one another, to have relationship with one another. You know, how do, how do we have good, strong relationships with the world if we don't even have good, strong relationships with one another in Christ? as brothers and sisters, as family, you know? It goes back to that, that other point about acting like family. You know, 
we've got to get there. Do I know exactly how we do that? No. But I can tell you one thing. Family doesn't look like what we think family looks like. Family's ugly and dirty and has messes. There's a, um, a message that I love. It's called, there's, there's no such thing as a poopless cow. <laughs> if you're going to have livestock, you're going to have some messes. You know, life is messy. There's messes. And Jesus knew there was messes. In fact, he walked through a whole lot of them while he was walking this earth. But you know what? We're supposed to love each other through our messes. We're supposed to be able to count each other and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to clean that up for you, but I'll clean it up with you. I'll support you. I'll love you. Even when you make a mess. Because that's what Jesus does for us. And I make plenty of messes that Jesus has to come in and say, I'm not going to clean it up for you, but I'll clean it up with you. Amen. You know? And I thank God for that. I really do. There's even some messes He's cleaned up for me. He's that good. He's that good. Out of those things that I mentioned, the centerpiece of the new covenant is for worship and fellowship is communion. Is sitting and having relationship. Holy communion is all about relationship. It's what we talked about at the very beginning. It's all about having a relationship with Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20, it says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The Lord's Supper is instituted. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after eating, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. There's two things I want us to key in on this scripture text. Once the body was broken, he said, Do this in remembrance of me. When we take communion and that bread is broken, we need to be shutting out every situation, every circumstance we're facing, every outside distraction, anything that's going on, and we need to be remembering Jesus. We need to be focused on Him. We need to be thinking about what He's done. We need to be thinking about the body that was broken. It's not a fairy tale. It's what happened so that we might live whole, complete, and healed. The body had to be broken. It's important that we remember Jesus. The next thing it says, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. We've got to remember, we live in a new covenant. 
There is a new covenant that we're living under. And that blood, just like the Passover, that blood was needed. It had to be applied to the door for judgment to pass by His people. Just like that, the blood of Jesus has to be thoroughly applied to our lives. Because one day we will face judgment. Every one of us in here will face the judgment of God. Every one of us. Without exception. And the only way we come away from that without reaping what we deserve is that we have applied Jesus' blood to our lives thoroughly. He's all over the doorstep of our life. The throne of our life is covered in His blood. It's so important that we understand that Jesus is the only way. He's, he's it. There's nothing you can do. You can't go out and serve the Red Cross and, and, and Hurricane Harvey long enough. You can't go and do enough for the poor and to feed those who are starving. You can't do enough of that to escape the judgment of God. The only thing that qualifies us that wipes us and makes us clean is the blood of Jesus. That's it. And if you're counting on anything else, let me tell you right now, it's not going to work. There's no other way. We talked about the very first time I spoke. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. His blood is it. There's no option B. There's no plan B. Jesus was it. Jesus is it. That's good news to me. That's really good news to me. Because He's not holding Himself back from us. He's not hiding. Amen? Like He's, he's standing with arms wide open saying, Hey, come to me. Come to me. Jesus referred to the Passover cup as the new covenant. This is the power of the Lord's Supper that we remember mankind's new covenant with God through Jesus. The next section was the benefits of the Holy Communion. Some of the benefits that we get from taking communion are God promises the bread of life so that we will never hunger or thirst again. You know, there's a lot of talk from Jesus about being hungry and thirsty. And who knows that life gets to where, you know, you get pulled in so many directions. And you're always thinking that if, if only I had this, I would be happy. If only I did this, life would be great. I call it destination disease. When I get to point this, I will have figured it out. Life will be grand. Boy, that's a lie. Destination disease will rob you of your entire life. You will wait for happiness your entire life because you're looking for it and what you can do. And what circumstances can change to make you happy. But that's not the answer. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies man's soul, his spirit and his body eternally, forever. Listen, this is, this is hard. You cannot 
You cannot tap into this without understanding the relationship aspect of communion. Of taking Jesus into yourself and having communion with him. Because if you're not having a constant relationship with Jesus, what happens is circumstances always come up. Life always changes on you. Bad things come towards you. The enemy's always throwing darts. He's always coming at you. And so, if you're not, if you're not relationally connected to Jesus, then you're going to be easily pulled to and fro by whatever, whenever the wind changes. You're just going to be going with it. Oh man, I got this now. Oh God. But when Jesus is the anchor, is the primary relationship for everything that you're facing, then you have constant peace. You have something steady in your life that holds. It does not move. It does not change. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. This is how Jesus slept in the storm where everybody else thought they were surely going to die. Those had to be some serious waves. There had to be some serious things going on that everybody else in the whole boat was going, Oh my God, go get Jesus. We're all about to die. And Jesus is just snoring away, having a good old time with the Lord, dreaming. But see, Jesus was about to teach us something in this moment. He's, he's teaching us that you can't have power over the storm until you have peace in the storm. And you can't have peace in the storm until you have relationship with God. True relationship with God where you know no matter what happens, whether I live, whether I die, it doesn't even matter. Because I'm anchored. I'm anchored to Jesus. The next thing is He promises eternal life being raised to life in the last day. That's how you have the peace. There's a promise. Peace comes through the promise. When you know the promise is eternal life, listen, this is temporary. And every year that goes by in my life, I realize how fast it's going. Like, I keep having this reoccurring dream I'm going to wake up and my little boy is going to be going to college or something. I'm going to be like, what happened? Where did it go? And then I read in the Word and it says life is it's like a vapor. It's just, we, have, we have a short window. We have a very short window. And when we, when we live our life and we don't have an eternal perspective, we waste so much precious time doing stuff that doesn't matter because we're not thinking eternal. We're thinking about the if you're, if you're extremely blessed, maybe you get 120 years. Who knows? I think that's the cap that, that it says. <laughs> so I don't know that I want to live that long, to be honest with you. But let's say you live to 120 years old. It's gone. And then there's an eternity. Live your life for eternity. Don't allow the things, the temporary to affect who you are because you're eternal now. You realize that? When you said yes to Jesus, you entered into your eternal. Boom! That guy died. That was the death. 
Bible says it's sin to all men to die once. When did you die? When did you die? The day you said yes to Jesus says the old man passed away. You, there's your death. It's not the physical death. Guys, <laughs> when you understand where God's coming from, He's not thinking temporal. Everything's eternal with God. Everything, He's outside of time. He saw the, be, he saw the ending from the beginning. Man, blows my mind when I think about it. I just, that's, why, that's why it's so awesome to walk with the Lord. Because you know what? I can read the Word. I can read this, this Bible. I can read it a million times. And I know I'll never know this much of what God knows. So it's easy to remain hungry. It's easy to remain thirsty because I'm never going to get there. You understand? You're never going to get there. So when, when, when there's times where studies come up, it doesn't matter whether you served the Lord for 50-something years or if you've served the Lord for two days. The hunger should be the same, guys. Amen? The hunger for Jesus and for God's Word and for God for, to know more of Him should be there. Whether we've served Him for 50 plus years or we've served Him for five minutes. You know, oftentimes I find myself wishing I could go back to the moment when I first encountered Jesus, there was nothing else, man. It was, it was me and Him. And there was no distraction, man. It was like, God, I, oh, you saved me. And I knew it. And there was a first love. And my, my whole life since then has been trying to get back to that moment with Jesus. Like, Lord, I, I don't want to forget that. And the good thing is, is every time that we take communion, we get to have an opportunity to go back to that first love moment. Every time we get to go back. Oh, thank you, Lord. Another benefit is spiritual and physically allows God to abide in us and us in Him. John six fifty three through 56 says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say, Unless you eat the flesh of, my, of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, I want you all to think for a second, you know. Take, take off, you know, all the, the religionals, you know. I want you to think about being in that time when Jesus is looking you in the face and saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, <laughs> there's no life in you. You ain't going to make it. No, we're 2,000 years separated from that time. We have a grid for that. Okay, he's talking about, you know, the resurrection and the, the crucifixion and communion. We have a grid. 
But those people that were there, <laughs> dude, dude, this guy's a cannibal. Something's wrong with this dude. What in the world is he asking us to do? And it said almost all of them left. They're like, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but he just lost me at eating flesh and drinking some blood. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just, you know, that'd freak you out. You know, I mean, that's, that's some weird stuff. But see, even he turned to his disciples, because the disciples were, were, were not figuring this out either. They were like, dude, did you hear what he just said? <laughs> like, really? Did you hear that? He's like, are y'all going to leave me too? But the disciples said and said, where will we go? You have the very words of life. You have the very words of life. It's so important that we understand and we have those words of life in us because God's going to ask some things of us that we're not going to understand. And we're not going to have a grid, even now, with all of our technology and Google. We're still not going to understand it. We're not going to be able to explain it. And, and I'll, I'll even go a step further. If you understand every part of what you think God is calling you to do, you might want to reevaluate if it's God. I'm just going to be honest. When I read that word, and he talks about going and what he's done through people, I don't see people who had it all figured out. <laughs> In fact, most of them didn't have a clue what was going on. And he usually used people that the world and everyone else was like, dude, why that guy? You know, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. You know, he's, he's got some flaws. You know, maybe he's even a... A murderer. Maybe he's even got some real sin issues in their life. And God said, well, I'm bigger than that. And I'll use the weakness and the weak things of this world to show my glory and my power. Man, that, that's encouraging to me. That's encouraging to me. Because I often feel completely unequipped for what God wants for me to do. I shared this with some friends. Um, I hate speaking in front of people. I always have. I'll, I'll be really just transparent. I hate it. Like, I usually, you know, go pace around a room for about 10 minutes before I have to go, and then, you know, they're like, Lord, uh, okay, you know, help me get through this. I just have, I've never liked standing in front of people and speaking. But I went into the military at 19, and honestly, I was running from the Lord. It's like, you know, I don't think I want to go that option, Lord. I'm going to take my own route for a little while. And I did. And God met me there. It's strange how that happens. <laughs> and I got some favor with the, the commander right away. And here I am. I'm, I'm an A1C, and I'm up in North Dakota. And I hate talking in front of people. And the commander calls me into his office and he says, Airman Stacy, I want you to start doing the announcements for commander's call. Now, commander's call is at 5 o'clock in the morning, so people aren't in a good mood anyway. 
And there's about 400 armed, usually armed people in there. <laughs> and so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to spend, it's, it only takes me five, maybe ten minutes at the most to go through all the things and the briefings or whatever. And then, then more important people would come out and talk. But let me tell you, those five minutes were testing my very soul. It was tough. And it was unnerving. And I found that in, in doing that, I started getting favor in things that I never expected favor in. Because I was just willing to do it. Instead of telling him, I don't want to speak in front of people, I was like, if that's what you want me to do, I'll just I'll go do it. And boy, the sweat was pouring and, and people could see I didn't like it. But that's all right. That's okay. Because I knew it was growing me. And that's what God wants to do in everybody here in, in our lives. He wants to grow us. He doesn't want us to stay where we're at. And if we're never challenged, if we're never taken outside of our comfort zone, I guarantee you will not grow. It's impossible. You will not grow. So I just encourage you, if, if you find that, if you're in a place with the Lord where you don't feel a little uneasy and a little bit of like unprepared and unqualified, maybe check, see, make sure, you know, make sure you're with the Lord. <laughs> because generally where He's going, you're, you're not going to be uh, on the most steady ground. See, God walks on the water. He doesn't stay in the boat. And He's calling us out there too. We're not supposed to be boat people. We're supposed to be water walkers. We're supposed to be people that walk in supernatural, that have complete trust and dependency upon Jesus for every step we take and everything that we do. That's what communion is. That's what relationship with Jesus looks like. So, drinking my flesh or, or eating my flesh and drinking my blood, we know today what that is. We know that when we take that cup, that's representation of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the remission of our sins. We know that when we take of that bread, it's representation of that body that was broken so that we might live healed. We share in Christ's victory over death and sin. You know, when, one thing we don't want to do, we don't want to take this and just focus on the death of Jesus. We don't want to stop there. We want to remember that Jesus was victorious over death. He won. And because He won, we won. You ever been in a fight that's already been won? We are. This war is already won. Devil is already defeated. The only thing that's really keeping Jesus from coming on back and planting the flag and doing all His wonderful thing we're going to be there for is He's waiting for as many people to wake up to that reality. To realize the war is won. The victory is already there. Jesus has already overcome. And when every single person comes to that realization, I guarantee you, you want to you 
stake your life on, on a bet when Jesus is coming back? I would bet everything on that moment. Because Jesus wants none to perish. He wants none to perish. So why is He delaying? Because He wants everybody, everybody to come to that realization that He's one and that He loves them and He did it for all of us. The next section was to abide in Him. The Lord's Supper should not be neglected. Remembering what Jesus has done for us is necessary for maintaining the presence of God in our lives. This is a big, big point. I'm going to read that again. Remembering what Jesus has done for us is necessary for, remain, for maintaining the presence of God in our lives. Listen. It's all about His presence. It's all about His presence. You can't be in relationship for too long without having a presence. You understand? Like, there's got to be something there. And so when we're walking through this life with Jesus and we're not feeling His presence and we're not feeling Him with us, something's wrong. There's a problem relationally. We have a relational breakdown with Jesus. And we need to understand that that's not okay. All right? It's not okay. It's not okay to go a day like that. It's not okay to go a week. It's surely not okay to go years. But I'll be honest with you, there's been long gaps in my life where I just settled for that. Like, okay, you know, so I don't feel you. I don't really hear you anymore. So I, I don't. We should not be people that settle for life without presence. Jesus did not die and say, you're on your own, I'll see you in a few. Right? He said, I will send my Holy Spirit to dwell in you. To teach you, to instruct you, to reveal you, to push you into truth. If that voice is not alive inside of you, we just, uh, last, last week, John just talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. If that voice is not constant, if you're not having communion with Him, something is wrong. The presence has to be there. And for the presence to be there, we need to have connection with Jesus. And to do that, the good place to always start to reconnect is right here. That's where it all begins. If we miss that, then nothing else past that is going to matter. It always begins with that. That's the sacrifice. That's what gives us authority and opportunity to get into relationship. And without it, we're just going through motions. Jesus, by sacrificing His life's blood, completely tore down the veil that separated man from God. You know, that. This is one of the greatest things, benefits, that Jesus did for us. In the Old Testament covenant, in the Old Covenant, we could not approach God. We couldn't have that kind of relationship with God because there was a veil that separated us. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. No. 
I'm not okay with separation. I'm going to tear the veil down. And he did. The veil is gone. You know, I love the story of when Jesus got baptized. And it says he came up and he said, the heavens were opened. Now, if one of you can show me in the Bible where it says the heavens were closed, I'd like to see it. Jesus opened the heavens, opened access directly to God. We live in an open heaven, under an open heaven. We have full access and we have full authority to enter and to boldly approach God in relationship. Because Jesus, because Jesus, that's it. Jesus is now the only acceptable way to enter God's holy presence. For Jesus cleansed us from all sin and his blood making us acceptable to come into presence. Listen, I can't tell you how many times in life, in a day, sometimes I'll just be like, Lord... I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. But most of the time, He'll remind me how worthy He thinks I I am. We were purchased at a high cost. And our worth has not to do with what... It doesn't have, can I build a house? I don't know, maybe. I don't know how good it'll be. I wouldn't probably live in it, but. I don't know if skill set wise, if I'm the most skilled person on the planet, I, I, I highly doubt it. But that has nothing to do with my worth. We spend so many times, so much time of our lives trying to get worth out of our occupation, our jobs, um, outside relationships. Um, you know, you name it. We try to take our value and our worth from those things. But let me tell you something. Our worth is only in this. That's it. That's it. That's freeing. That is freeing. Because you know what? Jesus settled that. He settled my worth. He set my cost. He put my price tag. I don't get to set the price on me. And I don't get to set the price on you. Let's say that one more time. I don't get to set the price on me, and I don't get to set the price on you. Jesus sets the price. And man, it's, it's priceless. Absolutely priceless. The next section was healing through the Lord's Supper. Healing was a critical part of God's plan for redemption through Jesus. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, He took our infirmities, bore our sickness. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. In Peter it says we were healed. I love that. I love the shift. Isaiah is talking from an old covenant. Peter's talking from a new covenant. Peter says we were healed. Past tense. Isaiah is prophesying, saying we are going to be healed. What I love about that scripture is, man, that was written hundreds of years before Jesus made the sacrifice. 
And Jesus did it. He did it. We're healed. Listen, when you take this, you should be believing just what it says here. That you're healed. When you take of that body, you're taking in healing. You're taking in restoration. You're taking in redemption. It's got to be. It's 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 got to be there. And if you're if you're not taking it with those things going and sounding through your spirit and through your soul, then you're missing it. You're missing the point. Because Jesus is trying to meet us in a supernatural, a supernatural moment when we take this. It it supersedes what we are feeling that day, what we're doing that day, what we've got on the agenda for today. It supersedes everything. And it takes us into communion with God. It takes us into His, His presence. The next section was the covenant. In Genesis chapter 1 and 28, it says, Then God blessed man, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over everything that, that moves on the earth. You know, I, I want to say there's a lot of things, you know, on purpose. You know, what's my purpose? What's... What's my purpose? You know, I mean, there's so many books written on purpose. It's like, you know, you can pick one and just run with it, I guess. But I'm going to tell you in Genesis chapter 1, God gave us purpose. And I'm going to tell you that His purpose hasn't changed. He didn't change His mind after the fall. In fact, when God sent His Son to restore us, He sent Him to restore us to dominion on the earth. To change the earth until it reflects the kingdom of God. When he told us to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he doing? He's talking about the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. The kingdom here, now. It's, it's awesome. You want to know your purpose? Your purpose is to walk in dominion with God. With, let me emphasize the with. <laughs> with God. Dominion. You're called to rule in this life. To reign. And I love that it said, it didn't say uh, have dominion over your brothers and your sisters and over anybody who disagrees with you on the earth. I didn't read that. You know, we're we're trying to have rulership and dominion over each other way too much, especially in the body of Christ. I'm just going to lay it out there. That's got to stop. It's got to stop now. We're called to love one another. We're called to edify one another, to build each other up. We're called to be the body the body of Christ. You know, it doesn't matter how much I dislike my finger, 
Maybe it doesn't bend the way I want it to bend. I guarantee I'm not going to go home and cut it off. I guarantee it. I like it just where it's at, just fine. It may not function the way I want it to function all the time, but you know what? That's okay. It's mine. It's my finger. And if we thought that way about one another, if we really cared about each other that much, we could say, you know what? You may not be living the way I want you to live. You may not be acting the way I want you to act, but I'm never going to cut you off. Because you're part of the body. See, the world, the world can never know that. They can never understand that. Because in the world, it's, hey man, survival of the fittest. You know? If you're in my way, I'm going to take you out. If you say something I don't like, I'm going to leave you in the dust. Goodbye, have a nice life. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him long, 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 long before he betrayed him. But Jesus still treated him with love, still let him sit at the table, and still even offered him communion. That's the heart of Jesus. The Lord's Supper supernaturally releases God's will and authority into our lives to establish His kingdom upon the earth. Mm. Authority. That's a big word. Dominion. In order to have dominion, we have to have authority, right? And Jesus said, all authority I give unto you, right? That means that when we're feeling powerless and we're feeling defeated and we're feeling that we have no authority in a situation, is that because they ha- that situation has authority or is it because we gave that situation our authority? You know, I, I like to think of it as like, uh, you know, Jesus, he's the sheriff, you know, but he's like, you know what? Here's your badge, your deputy badge. All authority that's mine is yours. You're in representation of me. So when you go out and you're dealing with whoever on the street, you have all my authority. But then we go out there and we get into, you know, the fray. And instead of taking our authority, we deputize the enemy. We give them authority. We got to stop doing that too. We got to stop that. It's, it's the authority that Christ has given us that allows us to rule and reign in this life. And when we're facing things, you got to understand that when we're facing things with people, it's not people that's the problem. Our fight isn't against flesh and blood. There's something going on in the Spirit. There's a manipulator. There's a a liar behind all of it. And if you're so focused on fixing the person, you know, you, you better stop. If you're dealing with the person on time and you're not dealing 
with the authority that God gave you to talk into that? What's driving that is that? If you're not able to see that and understand that, you will spend your whole life bickering with people and fighting with people and relinquishing your authority and getting in the mud. When, when God's like, man, I called you to so much more than that. I don't remember the stories of Jesus like arguing with people. Like, like, I, I, I just I don't remember that, you know, except for religious people. But he really wasn't arguing. He was just like, boom, take it. You know, here's the truth. I know you don't like it. But I don't remember having a bunch of back and forth, you know, like. That's not how we're supposed to operate. We're supposed to operate like Jesus operated, in authority. The priesthood of every believer. This is really important. Um, Revelations 1, 5-6 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's made us kings and priests. Listen, in the Old Covenant, you couldn't get into relationship. You couldn't go past the veil unless you were a king or a priest. How do I know you got to be a king? David was able to do it. But he was a king. And the priest, the high priest, was the only other person that was able to go there. But see... Jesus solved the problem. Hey, you're all kings and priests. You don't need to wait for clergy or someone in authority to serve you this. Hear what I'm saying. I would even say, if you're doing this once a month, waiting on your your minister to serve you this, You're missing it. You're missing it. Like, this this is something that probably should be daily in our lives. You You know, you could be eating your scrambled eggs and drinking your orange juice, and if you're saying, this is the body, and you understand that this is the blood, you can take communion right there. And you don't need somebody else to serve you it. You come to the table at relationship. And you enter in. And you don't wait for someone to serve you. Let me tell you, the religion, they will have you wait your entire life to be served into relationship. That's what religion wants. It wants you to go ahead and just wait for somebody else to take you there. When Jesus is like, no, 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 no. No, no. You're the king and you're the priest. All authority is yours. Don't wait for somebody to bring you into relationship. Don't wait for somebody to serve you that communion cup. You take that authority. Take it with your kids. Those of you who have families, let me tell you something. Don't let your kids learn about Holy Communion at church. Or 
in a, in a setting of fellowship and worship. Because we're the church, right? Church ain't a building. It's us. Don't let them learn about it here. Learn about it at home when you're taking communion with your kids, when you're teaching them how to enter into relationship. You're the king and you're the priest. Amen? It's a big responsibility, but man, it's also so, such an empowering thing. I think about Martin Luther and I think about all those revivalists and reformationists that brought us into certain things that were taboo for hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years. But they dared to seek God on their own and for themselves. And because of that, look at the freedom that we have today. Look at America because of some pilgrims were willing to come and leave everything so that they could set up and worship God the way they wanted to worship God. You know, man, that's inspiring to me. And let me tell you something. We haven't got there yet. Like, the kingdom is not fully established on the earth yet. We've got work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. The priesthood of every believer continued. As priests to God, we can partake of the Lord's Supper anywhere and at any time. The one thing that we must do prior to taking communion is this. Examine or judge yourself. And this is a big one. Listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29-31 through 31 says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. When we take the Lord's Supper... It must be with a repentant heart, reverent heart, and in the fear of the Lord. It's it's something so important not to take it lightly. there's, There's a clear warning that it even can cause sickness and weakness among us if we take it in an unworthy manner. So when you take that cup, when you take that, think about it. The good news is, is that shouldn't keep you from coming to the table. If you know something's wrong, 1 John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, don't keep away from God because you feel like something's there. Deal with it. Deal with it. And take communion. Get back where you should be. Don't spend weeks and months and years outside of God's loving presence and purpose for your life because you know, hey, I'm I'm not there yet. I've got this thing and I don't really want to deal with it yet. Give it to God. Confess your sin and give it to God. And then eat and drink His body because in it is life. It's the life that we need to sustain us through this, this walk, through this journey. And without it, you won't make it. You cannot make it through this life without Jesus, without communion with Him. Receiving a revelation of Jesus. Jesus was commanded, has commanded and invited all of us to His table. 
to partake in the new covenant. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way except through relationship with Jesus. And it starts right there. It always starts right there. You know, do it as often as you feel you need to do it. Whenever you feel you need to do it. If you feel disconnected from God, start there. Start there. The next part we're going to talk about tonight is how to have intimate fellowship with Jesus, which is pretty good right after Holy Communion because it's all about relationship. Learning to hear His voice. Everything we have learned so far tells us that Jesus came to restore all mankind to, to a close and intimate relationship with God. He has made His home in our hearts. He has removed the sin that separated us from His presence and He calls us His bride. You know, I love that. Um, Chris Valentin teaches, you know, about, you know, eschatology, this end time um, view of things. And one thing I love this, that he says is that we've got too many people that are preparing for a funeral instead of a wedding. They're so in fear of the end times, they don't even realize it's about a party. Like, Man, there shouldn't be a bunch of fear about end times, guys. Like, we're getting hitched. Like, it's, it's going to happen, man. Like, I, and, and I don't know, but I enjoyed when I got married. It changed my life, and all for the better. And I can't wait for the day when Jesus marries the church. What a day it's going to be. What a day it's going to be. We don't have to live in fear of that. We don't have to live in fear of that. Jesus has opened up a clear channel of communication by sending His Holy Spirit to teach, comfort, and lead us to all truth. There's a few ways for us to open up communication with God, and these are very important. Number one is praise and worship. Listen, if you haven't built praise and worship into your life. Praise and worship is a lifestyle, guys. It's everything we do. Everything we do. Even like building a spreadsheet at work can be praise and worship to God. I'm not kidding you. Like everything we do is worship to God. If your heart is so, if you realize that, if you give it to God, if you say, Lord, I don't really want to be at this job. I don't even like this job. But you know what? I'm going to do this job with so much excellence because I want it to be worshipped to you. I want people to know that when I, I represent you, Jesus, and that you don't do a crappy job. Right? Jesus has opened up a clear channel of communication by sending His Holy Spirit to teach us. Oh, I'm sorry. The second is prayer and fasting. This, this one's, like I said, I like to eat, and my prayer time is, is, is a work in progress. So, but it's, it's very important. Listen, it's, it's so important. When, when you dedicate the time to just have a conversation with God, the level of intimacy and relationship that you open up is unbelievable. 
It truly is. It's unbelievable. There's nothing that can match that. And, and how do I know that? Because Jesus would slip away from everybody and pray and fast. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed that time with the Father, I needed a lot more. I'm just going to be real. I'm going to need a whole lot more than He did. But He knew He needed it. And you know what I find interesting about that? Is that the Word says that Jesus grew in favor with God and man. How does Jesus grow in favor with God? But He did. And I believe it's 100% because He was relational to the Father. He took the time to always, hey, Father, what do you want from me? What do you want to tell me today? I love you. I want to spend time with you. You know, if, if Jesus needed that, and if, if God recognized that and even increased his favor on Jesus, then let me tell you, man, we need it so much more. It's so important that it's working in our lives. You know, fasting can be so ritualistic. We can get so silly about fasting. Fasting doesn't have to be, oh, if you don't fast for a week, you're not doing it right. Or, well, you know, like, come on. Come on, let's, let's not be legalistic about stuff. If it's just one meal, maybe it's TV for a day, for a week. Maybe it's something that you know your affection is. Maybe, maybe you're a gamer. Maybe you're always on a video game. You know, that's my generation. We like the video game. Maybe it's saying, hey, you know what, Lord, I'm going to give that to you for a time. But it's, it's setting something aside and focusing that time. Now, it's not just setting it aside, guys. Because sometimes I found myself doing that a lot. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not spend my time doing that, but I'm really not going to spend time with you either, God. So <laughs> I'm just going to be transparent, you know. I'm, I'm a work in progress, guys. But what we should be doing is we're saying, Lord, I'm going to give the time I would spend doing on this, and I'm going to dedicate this time to you. You know, if you're if you're just not eating, but you're not communing with the Father, you're not getting into relationship and praying and fast. You know, you're missing the point. You know, we're missing the point if we do that. Very important for for growth and maturity is prayer and fasting, reading and hearing the Word of God, which you guys are doing in in spades with this this study. I mean. As y'all, y'all are very aware, aware of the time that is being t- put in to reading all those scriptures and to filling in that book. But I promise you, and I know that God will meet you in that place. He will honor that time that you're giving Him. And serving others is the last thing. The Bible says, what you do unto the least, you do unto me. You know, when we serve others, there's something that's, that's going on that, we're communicating to God through serving others. We're saying, Lord, I love you so much. I want to serve. I want to be a blessing to others. I want to be like you. Because Jesus was a servant. He took off His royalty and He came to earth to serve us. I mean, He got on His feet and He washed the feet 
like, man. You know, and, and they wore sandals back then. They, that, that was a pretty dirty job. You know, our life should be something where we're re- ready to wash others' feet and to serve others. To know Jesus is eternal life. 1 John 1, 3-4 says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I love that. It is in fellowship with God that we find life's joy. Listen, the kingdom is made up of peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans says. If joy is lacking in your life, you're missing one of the key components of kingdom life. Okay? It's like a three-legged table. You kick one leg out and there the whole thing falls. If you don't have all three of those things in operation in your life, I promise you, you're going to spend a lot of time on the ground. Joy is very important. And the only way that we have that kind of a joy is through the fellowship with Jesus. It's through fellowship with Him. Seeking to know Him with your whole heart. Jeremiah 29:13 says, "And you will seek me and find me, and when you search for me with all your heart." I I, lo- I love the fact that he's telling us, he's inviting us to come. Like I'm You know, he's that guy that you play hide and seek with that, you know, he's hiding but it's like obvious where he's at. You know what I mean? Like he just wants you to come seek Him. But He guarantees you're going to find Him. I love that. You know, I play hide and seek with Noah a lot. And I find myself realizing the Father's heart like that. Because I remember playing with my friends. I'd try to hide real good. I don't want nobody finding me. I, I was, I was going to be out. But with you know Noah, I'm, I'm hiding behind you know a pole this big, you know, and sticking out on both sides. Like, oh, you got me. You got me. That's how the Father is with us. That's how He is. He's hiding out in the open. He just wants us to come after Him. True intimate relationship cannot be one-sided. God has pursued relationship with us unto death. But we cannot experience the true intimacy of God without pursuing Him. In Psalms, pursuing God is described as a deer pants for the water. So our souls must long for Him. Jesus showed us how to pursue God through dedicating time alone with the Father. It's during those times of prayer that Jesus acquainted Himself to to the voice of the Father and the will of the Father. If it was necessary for Jesus to spend that kind of time in God's presence, how much more should we pursue relationship with Papa God, Brother Jesus, and the Comforter, Holy Spirit? So important. Worship is in spirit and truth. When relationship with God is not valued, sin, iniquity, and corruption and deception will separate us from God. When we spend time with God in His presence, He says He will do four things in Isaiah chapter 6. He says He will expose sin and lead us to repentance. Who knows in Romans it says that it's not the judgment of God that leads us to repentance, but it's the goodness and kindness of God. So that's a good promise. 
Because He's going to show us the goodness to get us to repent. He removes the sin that enslaves us. He removes iniquity. Iniquity can be defined in the Greek as perversity or immorality. And the last one is my favorite. He reveals His will to us. Man, that's a good promise. Like, he, He'll tell us what He wants from us. You know, sometimes, sometimes in my walk, I've felt like it's always been like a game of you know, walk them all or something like, you know, I think I've got you there. I think I've got you there. You know, <laughs> but when you're walking in relationship with God, I don't know how to under, how to explain the, the peace of like, you just know, like you're walking with him. Like, you know what his will is in every moment, in every instance. Like, I, it's just obeying it. That's the problem I have. It's just like, yes, Lord, I'll do that. Because too many times I'm like, well, maybe tomorrow, Lord. You know, like when I'm at the grocery store and a lady's hobbling by me and crutches and I know I'm supposed to pray for her, but I say, well, you know, someone else will pray for her, surely, right? I'm sure that doesn't happen to anybody else, but those are the kinds of things where it's like, I know God is speaking to me because I'm in relationship with Him and I know that He wants everyone to walk in wholeness. So if I see someone who's hurting or in pain, not to pray for them to me is like, it goes against the nature of Jesus. It goes against the relationship I have with Him. You know? And the more we walk with Him, the more we are, we just know, like, those are divine appointments. Those are opportunities to walk into His will for that moment and that time. Not going to say it's easy, and I'm not going to say you're not going to mess it up a lot, because I mess it up every day. But there's this thing called grace, too, and mercy. And those are very important aspects of our lives with Jesus. If, if, if we didn't need those, He wouldn't have done that. I'm running out of time. Okay. God demands a relationship built upon love and obedience. God promises those who spend time beholding Him will be transformed into His image in 2 Corinthians. We know that the very nature and image of God is love because 1 John says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. To be in right relationship with God, we must keep His commandments. 1 John 3.24 says, Now he, he who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He's given so what are the commandments that Jesus left? Well, we talked about those the first day. You'll love your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Everything's about love. Everything's about love. If you want to spend time with the Lord, you know, check your heart for love. You know, um, keep your love on. That's the... the the dating silk thing we just went through. You know, that's not just towards other people. I think it's most important that we keep our love on towards Jesus, towards God. You know, because I know that in my life it's all, it's all too easy sometimes to say, oh, I'm under some trouble. There's some hard times coming. I mean, and so the first thing I want to do is just go ahead and turn my love off towards God and say, well, God, I'm really not happy with what you're doing right now because uh, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. 
and it doesn't make me very happy. <laughs> Just being real honest, okay? But that's when I, I need to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm not running away from, but I'm turning on my love towards them and saying, Lord, I don't understand this, and I don't even like it, but I'm not going to be swayed about my love for you. I'm not going to turn it off. And a lot of times when that's going on in my life, that's when I'll hit that. I'll go right back to that. And go, okay, I need to remember. I need to remember what you've done. I need to remember the pain you took and the hardship that you went through so that I can live in freedom. One thing that I, I want to touch on before we, we close tonight is that... Um, it talks in the, in the study about revealing his heart and about how out of the 12 disciples, there were three disciples that were like on a different level of relationship with Jesus. Um, Peter, James, and John were the three. And, and I, I just want to make sure everyone understands that it had nothing to do with Christ's love for them. Like Christ loved... Judas, as much as he loved John, and as much as he loved Peter. But here's the thing about relationship with Jesus. Because their love for him was on such a different level, they got to go with him to see things that none of the others did. They got to go on the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to sit with Elijah and Moses. They got to sit in the presence of God and see Jesus transformed. Listen, this is, this is saying that, listen, the level of intimacy and relationship you want with God is directly dependent upon you. Because Jesus' love for us all is the same. That right there proves it. It's for everybody. He gave it all for all of us. But if you want to be able to see some things and to go to some depths of relationship with God, and to see the kingdom in, 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 a, in a different light, you, it's all about your love for Him. It's all about what you're willing to do. See, John was willing to go all the way to the cross with Jesus, all the way to Calvary. He stood by Him the whole time, and he watched Him die. And if they would have said, hey, you're His disciple, and put Him right up there with them, He would have done it gladly. He would have done it gladly. And Peter, Peter was flawed, man. He denied him three times the night he got killed. I mean, he was a flawed dude. But here's the thing about Peter had such a special part with Jesus is he had an insight. He had a revelation of who he was. And when everyone else stood in the boat afraid, Jesus called and Peter risked it all. There's something about being a risk taker. There's something about pursuing God when no one else wants to. When everything else seems like it's, it's insanity. When you're that person that will go the extra mile for Jesus, I promise you He'll take you places that He won't take other people. But that level of intimacy and relationship is completely dependent upon us. It's completely dependent upon us. And so I want to encourage you if you want to go deeper into relationship with Jesus, if you want to go further, if you want to have a mount of transfiguration moment with Jesus, if you want to have the burning bush experience like Moses had, 
You've got to be willing to go and do some things and take some risks that no one else is willing to take. You know, I think a lot about how I want to see so many people healed. I want to see what Jesus saw. I want to go and see crippled people like, hey, just laying hands on people and they're walking out of their wheelchair. I want to see that. But let me tell you something. If I don't go and ever pray for those people, I guarantee you I'll never see it. And if I pray for one and they doesn't happen and I quit, I'll never see it. So what does that tell me? I'm going to have to take the risk of looking foolish, of looking silly, of looking like, hey man, you know, you're praying for everybody and ain't nobody in. But what happens when my, when my hunger to see people healed starts to manifest in a supermarket? What happens when that starts to happen? What happens when God is getting all the glory? Man, what a day that's going to be. And I'm going to see that day. I'm going to see that day. Because I'm going to pray more and more for people that I see. And I'm going to look foolish. And I'm going to look silly. And people are going to look at me like John the Baptist, like some wild, crazy man that's, you know, way off in the left field. But you know what? I'd rather be a fool for Jesus than a genius any day. Because that's where we're going to meet. We're going to bring the supernatural to the natural. But we've got to walk in a way that shows that God is more important than anything. He's more the most important relationship in our life. So why were we created and redeemed? Relationship with God. That's it. That's the reason. It's all about relationship. And relationship is going to start right here. It always starts right here. So tonight I'm just going to I'm just going to welcome or actually we help. Come on. Let me pass these out. Thank you, Ronnie.